So Jack, this is going to be your last extras podcast. It us. is, yeah. I've just realized I've, I've said, and I'm Jack for the last time, which is surprisingly a more emotional sentence than I expected it was going to be. Yeah, I've had a lot of lasts so far, even just this week. We had our last staff meeting yesterday on Monday. Yes. That, to be honest, wasn't the saddest of lasts. <laughs> our staff meeting was great. Um, last meeting with Raj this morning, had a last one-to-one with someone. Yeah, and now we come to the last episode of... The extras that I will get to be involved in. Yeah, that's right. Mm. And um, I'm going to be taking over as host. And you, the host, has become... Well, you have been in the past as well. But the preacher who's answering the question. Yeah, I'm very excited that you're taking the extras forward, Candy. I think the podcast is in safe hands. So looking forward to seeing how people continue to get to ask their questions about the word and have you and the preachers tackle them. It's going to be good. I'm sad I won't be a part of it, but really excited to see how it keeps going. Yes, the training wheels are ready to come off. So we'll see how we go. Um, Very good. So on Sunday, The Extras is a podcast where we get questions uh, that come out of the sermon on a Sunday and we tackle them um, in this podcast. We were looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 8 um, to verses 20. Is that mm, not? Yeah, is yeah. It? yeah. Yeah, 5, 8 to 20, yep. That's yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. And so, Jack, what was the sermon about? Can you give me a little bit of a recap of what this passage is saying? Sure. So we've been wandering through Ecclesiastes, seeing how the teacher has had this twisting journey, looking at life, looking at the world, seeking meaning. And in chapter 5 that we looked at, the, the focus really is on wealth and riches and money. And we've seen how the teacher considers different aspects of wealth in our world, talks about how it's 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 never enough. If you love money and you're chasing it, you're never going to be satisfied. He talks how it, um, more money, more problems, as <laughs> I said in my sermon. Um, but yeah, we kind Where, of think... Who was the rapper that did um, that? Notorious B.I.G. That's right. The guy from back in the 90s. Yeah. yeah. Um, we sort of think money's the answer and so often money just brings more issues. Uh, yeah, so really questioning the whole, you know, so relevant for our world that we, we, we bank so much on money, pun intended, and we need to realize that it, it can't answer all our problems, it can't bear the weight of eternity and immortality that we try to put on it. Uh, we, we need something better. Uh, we need uh, Lasting value is not going to come through, through our cash. Mm. It's been so great in Ecclesiastes. We've, you know, tackled things like um, pleasure and, you know, now we're tackling things like money. Mm. It's, it's been pretty amazing thinking about death, chasing after the wind. Now we've got a question here. I'm not entirely sure where this question is coming from, but it says, is getting chips a chasing after the wind? <laughs> um, oh, that's funny, yeah. It depends what you mean. I mean, poker chips, I'd say yes, definitely. I had a bit of a, um, a discourse on gambling in, in my sermon. Um, hot chips, you know, it's getting hot chips are chasing after the wind. Maybe as a little parable of the book as a whole. If you, you know, if you invest all of your life just hankering after that perfect hot chip, just With waiting. the chicken salt on the top. That's yeah. why, you know, you, you, you long for it, you just can't wait for it, you eat it, and then then it's over and you're going to be hungry again tomorrow. So, you know, if you, if you invest what you're hoping, then yes, it's a chasing after win. But if you, you know, enjoy it as a gift as it comes and are prepared to accept on those terms, then, you know, you can, you can give thanks to God for that. Yeah, that might be the Ecclesiastes way to look at chips. Mm. I didn't I'm getting hungry now, actually, yeah. Yeah, chippies are good. <laughs> I didn't realize is getting chips or chasing after the wind would be such a meaningful question. But there you go, Ecclesiastes in the microcosm. Yeah. And we've got another question. Of, I don't have a great memory. Did we skip over Ecclesiastes chapter 4 
and the start of chapter five, or did I just forget that we did them? Um, you do have a great memory. We did skip from mid four through to mid five, and if that kind of disturbs you, then you ain't seen nothing yet, because this Sunday we're jumping all the way over into chapter nine. And the reason for that is, it's a big book. We're, we're working through Ecclesiastes over seven weeks. Uh, we've decided we're, we're not going to tackle every single verse in the whole book, because there's stacks in there. That's often the challenge for us preachers. We'd, we'd love to do everything in detail, but uh, if we do, it would take forever. So we are skipping over and focusing on some particularly key passages that we really think have a lot to say to us in our context and what we need to hear. Mm. If you are looking for more resources on Ecclesiastes, the daily Bible reading notes, you can jump on the website of St. Paul's and subscribe to those emails. But um, every week on a Monday and Tuesday, there are reflections and questions on Ecclesiastes that you can look at. And um, there's, I believe, 18 of them. So it tackles more than what, more passages than what the sermons are going through. Nice. All right, we're going to dig now into um, the Bible and more about the questions that have come in on the details of the verses. So if you, you're listening, grab a Bible in front of you, um, look through the verses so you can track where we're going. Mm. First question is, isn't the emphasis on this passage the love of money and not how rich you are? Because even the poor can love money. Thank you. I mean, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Verse 10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied. So absolutely. Yeah. Love of money is the issue here. And maybe the question behind the question is, are you saying that money itself is a bad thing? And to that, I would say, no, the scriptures don't paint money itself as evil. You know, that's sometimes how people misquote 1 Timothy 6. But no, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil is what that passage says. So yes, the issue is what's going on in our hearts. If we set ourselves on money and riches as the, the ultimate thing, the thing that brings all joy and life and meaning, that's the kind of thing that this passage is really tackling. That said, I think the reality is that probably it's the people who have money who are the ones who are more at risk of loving it. I mean, those who are without may desire it and fix their heart on it as something to solve the problems. But again and again, I think the scriptures explicitly call out the rich. Those who have wealth are the ones who are most in danger. So a passage like 1 Timothy 6, which I just mentioned, but a different part of it. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, Paul writes to Timothy, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So there you have this explicit command to, to, to warn the rich. And, you know, maybe you could say, well, Paul, couldn't you equally say, you know, people who don't have money, they shouldn't put their hope in wealth either. And that's true. But what Paul calls out here is particularly those who have wealth are the ones who are going to be most prone to put their hope and their confidence in it. And the warning is to not do that. Uh, God is the one who can actually bear the weight of our hopes. He's the one who we are to trust in. Mm. That's um, really helpful to just hear that money is not evil. The Bible doesn't say that. But, and it is the love of money that is um, the problem. But at the same time, money um, is, can be a trap. Yeah. Yeah, it can. And, yeah. and we are the rich people. Always remember that. I mean, I think Raj and I both said that, but I'll say it again. But if you are involved with the ministry at St. Paul's and you're living somewhere in the orbit of Carlingford and North Rocks, then chances are you are in the top few percent of the richest people in the world because that's, that's where we are. And I think Raj pointed you to, you can Google how rich am I? And there's a little web app where you can, you know, anonymously put in what you earn and it will show you what percentage you know what percentile you are in the world and it's often quite striking uh, we are richer than we think so we need to hear when we hear those words in the bible you know warn the rich we always think oh that's someone else no like no way that is us we are we are dead set in the in the sights of those kinds of verses that we gotta listen up mm. and i think um 
it makes me think because we talk about rich and not setting our hopes on riches riches itself i think can also affect our prayer life it makes mm. us not need to depend on god like if you don't know where your next meal is coming from you're praying you're probably praying hard yeah. but if we um we don't need to enter the kingdom like a child and depend on god if we can just depend on ourselves because we can go into a supermarket and that's all provided for us so i think um anyway just a little thought on how wealth itself um, can also feed into prayerlessness yeah and not needing to depend on god yeah well said yeah um we've got a couple of questions here talking about storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven so the question is what type of treasure are we talking about and in particular right if we're talking about storing up treasures in heaven doesn't mean that christians become self-centered like we want to get treasures in heaven and that's why we want to you know honor god and it seems actually almost equivalent to catholicism where good works are explicitly rewarded and correspond to salvation so how does that work jack what are the treasures in heaven and how does this not feed into our self-centered you know i'm doing good because i just want more in heaven yeah there's lots of questions in there and they're all good ones so we're trying to tease it out a little bit uh firstly i mean places start what is jesus talking about so it is jesus matthew 6 the passage we read he says don't store up treasures on earth, treasures on earth where thieves break in and steal but store up treasures in heaven and every time i read that I kind of think okay jesus how like what are you telling me to do exactly like it's 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 a it's an image that's meant to be making this contrast i think i don't think jesus is actually saying like all right you need to kind of take your bank and deposit it in the great atm in the sky or anything like what does that even mean yeah um treasures in heaven I, yeah i think that jesus is drawing this contrast between sort of investing your yourself and your time and your energy and your worth in the things of earth versus investing them in the things of heaven like i think that's the difference um one of the places where maybe jesus spells it out a little bit more uh, luke chapter 18 uh, in luke's version of the the rich young ruler uh, you know the one who says what must i do to inherit eternal life jesus says keep the commandments the guy says yeah i have and jesus says you still lack one thing uh, luke 18 verse 22 sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me so he gives you this it's this paradox really like give your treasure away and then you have treasure like give the earthly treasure to those who need it and you'll have the the reward like it's this picture of you will have this good thing stored up in heaven which i think is this picture of um banking your hopes on on god and on the future that he will provide um so i don't think we're meant to think like oh the treasure is a thing that i'm storing up in heaven that it's this balance that's occurring or anything like i think it's a more general picture of the reward that awaits us in the new creation for those who put their hope in christ it's this kind of it's meant to point us to look forward and to to yeah not seek the things of the world but to seek the the approval of our father in heaven who longs to see us serve him um i often think of the um the luke 19 um well done good and faithful servant that, that's the picture of you know honoring god choosing him over things of this world and receiving his praise on the last day like i think that's part of it can i push back a bit jack mm. so is that is it distinguished between christians then like would one christian get more reward than another christian because i think this view of like our treasure in heaven is a kind of individual and tailored based on the person because i think that makes i think that's the maybe that's sort of also behind the self-centered question of like mm. i'm working maybe to distinguish myself because there will be a difference between myself and other christian in terms of the reward we'll get yeah so i mean that question of yeah rewards in heaven beyond salvation itself 
Yeah, it's one that theologians have tossed around for, for many years. Um, I think it's quite a hard question to answer. So th- I think my take is I, I think there is hints in the New Testament that there's sort of degrees of reward for faithful Christians. So I mean that passage I mentioned, Luke 19, you have Jesus talking about, you know, the guy goes off and gives his servants um, coins and they each get one coin and one of them ends up producing like 10 coins from his one and then the master comes back and says... Uh, well done, good faithful servant. Uh, you've been faithful in a small matter, so take charge of ten cities. Whereas the other one who comes back with five minas, he gets put in charge of five cities. So mm. you kind of have this hint there that as part of God's reward, there's a there's a proportional reward for faithful service done in this life. And now to that, some might say, well, it's a parable, and that's yeah. right. So it's hard to. I think it's really hard to make. It's hard really, to press details. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To press the details of parable isn't always wise. Um, but you do get this thing, you know, 1 Corinthians 3, there's this hint of, you know, some who've served faithfully will, you know, um, and those who aren't will be saved, like, as one who escapes through the flames. Like, you, you do get these hints that there's going to be um, degrees of it. And I don't know exactly what that is. I don't know what it is that uh, you will get or not get in the last day. Uh, what I know is that, like, there'll be no more jealousy and comparison and envy in the last day. So it's not like I'll be looking over my shoulder at um, Sam Russell, who's served uh, far more faithfully than I have, and he's got you know, <laughs> a better mansion or something. Um, like it, you Him know. And, yeah, he's just in, in the mansion. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Like, you know, he, he's done, he's done a far better than I, than I have. And um, suddenly we're like in the wooden huts and, and the side. Yeah, I think we hear that and think, well, if, it's gonna, if we're going to be treated differently in heaven, how can we possibly ever be content? But we've got to remember that on that day, there'll be no more sin and no more envy. Like, it's, it's not going to affect our, um, our contentment then. Um... Maybe one last thing in the question to say is, um, is it wrong then to work for the reward? And again, I don't think so. Um, I think that we can kind of have a binary, like, oh, if I'm serving because I want to be rewarded, that's selfish, that sounds wrong. Um, I don't think that serving God because you love him and because you love other people and because he's promised a reward, I don't think those things have to be mutually exclusive. Like, I think those mm-hmm. motivations can exist together. Like, there's lots of things about the Christian life that are hard and we're given lots of different reasons to keep pressing forward and one of them is that yeah if we work hard and we we serve and we we keep going when it's costly then we'll have the reward from our father as something to look forward to um i think it's worth worth pointing out that even jesus had that motivation which is kind of wild before you've really heard it but it's true so hebrews chapter 12 talks about that um talking about jesus and the cross he says um we fix our eyes on jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus endured the cross for the joy, like mm. looking towards the joy that he'd have exalted to the right hand of the Father. That was part of Jesus' motivation to go through with, with the cross. Um, is that wrong and selfish? Like I take it, it's not because it's Jesus. Yeah. But God's glory and the good of people and my own joy in the reward, they all go together. Thank you, Jack. Um, we're going to move on. I, yeah, I think this is quite a big question, but lots of Bible passages there to ponder. Um, it talks about uh, verse 14, that it's evil to lose our wealth and have nothing left to our children. But how can that be the case when we have come into the world with nothing? So like even those children, they're going to leave the world with nothing. So how is that evil in verse 14? Yeah, great. Pick up on the detail. That word evil is worth pondering. Um, it's a word that... 
I think often causes problems for English Bible readers. Like the Hebrew word is ra. It's a fun word to say. Ra. Um, it like evil is part of it, but it it, it basically just means bad. Like, it can be disaster. Yeah, calamity, yeah. Um, evil. So it's not like the teacher saying, "Oh, this thing is it's really wrong." You know, someone who um, loses their wealth has done this great evil. I mean, like I don't know if that's necessarily untrue, but that's not the point he's making. Like he's saying this is like it's this really tragic disaster. Like imagine when you see someone who had it all and then it's all gone it's left with the children like that sucks is kind of what he's saying yeah. like, that's this tragic thing that happens in the world and it's one of the reasons why wealth's not putting your trust in because it's it's not you know it's, there's no certainty with it I think that's the kind of thing he's saying um, as he goes on to say like you know everyone comes naked from their mother's womb they take nothing in their hands um, so he's kind of saying again like to add to the point like it doesn't really matter either way in a sense like tragic when someone loses their fortune and there's nothing for the children but then even if the children held on to it, they wouldn't be able to take it with them. So either way, it's sort of, it's not really worth putting your final trust in. But he's just saying like, one of the bad things that happens in the world is, you know, wealth can just slip through your fingers and there's nothing to inherit. Mm. Um, now we're going to move on to sort of a bit of the application questions that people have sent through. Uh, so I've got a question here for some of our parents who are first generation migrants. There's a lot of emphasis on money, status and work. It is understandable it's hard for them a lot to sacrifices to get here and may not be easy to change their viewpoints. How can we be talking to them about money and wealth from a biblical perspective? I'm really glad that someone's asking this question and Ken, you're really glad that you're here <laughs> as well because I think this is, this is more your situation. So I'd love to hear what you think as the, the generation of migrants. Sorry, as the descendant of migrants yourself. Yeah, and actually myself as a migrant too. Yeah, that's um, right. you're a, you're a 1.5 gen, is that what? I don't know. Third third how old were you? I think people say it like third culture. Yeah, how old were you when you moved to Australia? Ten. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, enough to still retain my Chinese, but you know, I, I mean I married someone who's not Chinese. I don't know I don't know what that says anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, it talks about yeah, so how can we be talking to parents about money and wealth from a biblical perspective? Um, yeah, I think uh, it's challenging. It's challenging because um, it's it's not true um universally but i think for most people they migrate to seek a better life mm. um, and a better life looks like better employment opportunity it, it looks like security um you know especially if you've come uh, from a country that's unstable and people come to australia for that um you know for economic opportunities and so they've given up a lot to try to provide those things for you and yeah. like and then, you know, if we turn around and then say, well, Jesus is going to provide for me. Here's my security. Um, I think in my case, you know, I'm going to quit my banking job and go and do ministry and do MTS. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's really challenging. How can we be talking to them about money and wealth from a biblical perspective? Um, I think there are a few things. I think, first of all, the how. Um, I think attitude is very important. We shouldn't be talking to our parents as if we're their teachers. I think that's disrespectful. The Bible tells us to honor our parents. Um, the Bible uh, puts parents as those who discipline their children. And, um, you know, we, talk, we, we look at, um, even in Proverbs, you know, my son, listen. Mm. So the parents are expected to teach their children, and that is their role. I mean, at some point, you are not a child anymore, but I think it still goes that we should honor them. And so the way we talk to our parents it can't be lecturing them, um, stating things, but it's much better to actually ask questions to try to understand things from their perspective, to listen to their suggestions and get behind 
what it is that they want for you and why mm. um, to offer maybe alternatives that uh, may work for them um, rather than just dismiss them wholesale so I can tell you as a younger person I definitely did the wrong thing I think I was much more dismissive of my parents than I should have been I think in my zeal of being a young convert I didn't really quite think of things from their perspective and the wisdom that they have with their years and their gray hairs so I think how first of all with respect and not as the teacher and in in, hum in humility um, I think secondly how we can be talking to them I think your own witness is very important if you're someone who um, like for example I think with my parents like they can see that I'm not frivolous with my money um, you know they can see for instance like do you pay your bills on time like if you're not someone who's managing your own money well um, you know quite frankly if you're getting bubble tea every day and your parents are seeing hey you're like spending all these money on things um, that you shouldn't be and may not be wise to um, you know being generous um, only to yourself and also being irresponsible in terms of your debts you know um, that's not gonna well telling them like mm. Jesus will provide for me when you're kind of acting foolishly at the same time so I think your own witness is very important as well yeah yeah Jack can you see you're flipping into passages are you oh, I'm just gonna read the next question ah, okay <laughs> yeah um, and I think last of all um, how can we be talking to them about money and wealth I think uh, for me being a good witness was very important um, my, I did wanted to go into ministry from the time I was 17. I actually didn't want to go to uni and um, my parents didn't really like that and I think mm. in submission to them I did end up going to uni and also in submission to them I ended up working because my parents also really wanted me to do that and they didn't take me seriously they were like you know you're looking to do ministry but you don't know nothing and so um, did sort of work in Westpac and then and then had a conversation with them about it afterwards as well but I think at some point you also have to draw boundaries um, because you are not a child anymore you're an adult and you need to draw boundaries and be responsible for yourself and be responsible for your stewardship before God and so yes my parents were not happy that I went into ministry and um, to a certain extent they're still not happy about it they would be much happier if I weren't doing this but I think at the same time like um, my life and and um, you know you need to be responsible for yourself and draw boundaries around doing the right thing rather than doing just whatever they want you to do because you're an adult and I think that actually honors our parents so those are the three different things I would sort of say yeah I mean stacks there we hope that's helpful yeah. for you might have gone genus. on for a bit too long <laughs> figuring life out yeah yeah no, that's good um so uh, we've got heaps of questions about um the difference between chasing wealth and preparing them for the future mm. like saving um and also um just sort of thinking about um working hard and i think i'm yeah so what's the jack what is the difference between chasing wealth and trying to build trying to prepare for the future so like for example yeah. is saving even wise and should we even think about investing? So, so first of all, saving. What do we think about that? Yeah. Um, my kind of pre-comment on all this is it's really important to distinguish between what's going on in our hearts and the actual how we use our money. Because it's possible for you to do what looks like the same activity, like saving up money to buy a house, for completely different motivations. Like you can do that same thing 
because you like just can't imagine life without that and it's just this ultimate meaning of earthly existence thing like all my hopes depend on it i have to do it it's this idolatrous thing or you can save to buy a house because you want to wisely steward what god has blessed you with and provide for you and your family for the future like from the outside it might not be possible for someone else looking on to know what's really going on so you gotta hear what the bible is saying to your heart first and most of what the bible has to say about money is about what's going in our hearts it's telling us don't love it like use it as a gift give thanks for it use it well for the kingdom don't love it love god instead once you've kind of heard all that and it's not like you just <laughs> that's an overnight like okay i've obeyed that tick like that's a lifelong struggle as well but i think that's kind of what you got to say first and then we can start to talk about okay how do i actually use my money in this world um is saving for the future wise uh yeah um like again like there's always going to be a, it depends and what you're saving for and all sorts of things but saving in itself is naturally like not wrong i mean the bible talks about it like one place you could look is proverbs chapter six uh go to the ant you sluggard consider its ways and be wise it has no commander no overseer or ruler yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest and you have that even ants know that they should store up food while they can and mm. store it and save it for the time when they can't get it right like that's just part of how the world works like don't be lazy you know make hay while the sun shines and then store it for a rainy day that's part of what it says um proverbs 21 verse 20 the wise store up choice food and olive oil but fools gulp theirs down so the one who just like you know to put it in modern terms just spends recklessly use up everything you've got till there's nothing like that person's called a fool sometimes it's wise to store up for the future and particularly in our world the way most of you know life works here we live in a world where it's difficult to work for a season and then to retire and not work for a season so it means for most of us over the course of our life we're going to have a period where we are earning more and then a period where we're not earning so knowing that that's the shape of life ahead probably pretty wise to kind of live accordingly and know that yeah providing for you and your family uh, in the future is part of what you need to prepare for like living wisely in light of that future means saving so i take it that there are times when that's right yeah what about investing Mm, what about investing um should christians invest in shares oh great question yeah and we had a lot of questions come in about this like um i'm just looking over my page there's probably five or six questions that relate to that in some way and it talks Um, about in the context of greed versus gambling versus wise stewardship versus use of our time yeah oh man like there's again there's stacks to say um and again i should probably say like we're not financial planners like (laughs) this isn't financial advice we are we're experts in theology and perhaps even that is overstating it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i don't know about expert yeah. but yeah <laughs> that is where our expertise lies yes. yeah um so yeah like um like i you know you know both thought through this a little um shares and stock market and everything yeah i think it's important to talk about i think that for whatever reason some people out there you know i almost think i got a taste of it when i was growing up as a christian almost as if like any like all investing in shares is gambling and therefore it's wrong and i just don't think that's right like it's it's certainly possible to approach the stock market in a way that's effectively the same as gambling um yeah there's a difference between wise sensible kind of slow growth investing versus just sheer speculation and a lot of what you see in the media at the moment is the speculation like mm-hmm. you know cryptocurrency and bitcoin like there's something that's not you know in my opinion really producing much actual goodness for the world if anything it causes problems with you know computers just idling and making greenhouse gases and you know dark web transactions going on and yet here's this you know over the course of this last year it had this massive surge in value and then a massive bubble pop like that's just people jumping on asset they think is going to increase and then jumping off once it's not like there's yeah there's nothing 
why is going on there that is basically just gambling and i think it's rash and i think it's worth saying like what shares are is shares is pretty much a part ownership in the company mm. and so um you i mean if you for example believe in what a company is doing maybe it's providing some kind of health product uh, maybe it's providing some kind of services that you really believe in and you think you want to be a part of a company that makes a difference that's a way you can do that so I don't think it's inherently evil, but mm. it's when you're like, I don't care what this company does. I don't care, you know, um, I don't really even know what their financial statements, what anything is like. I'm just putting my money there because somebody told me that it's going to go up. Yeah. Like, that's just speculation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But as you said, I mean, like investing in the sense of actually I have wealth that at the moment is just sitting there doing nothing. I can, you know, make that part of what some company is seeking to do. Hopefully, hopefully contributing to human flourishing and doing good yeah. in this creative order. Like that's a good thing. Um, and particularly again as we said like over the course of your life as you're seeking to um, be wise and invest in the future I mean this is like the reality is that if you work in Australia you probably already do own shares because you have superannuation and a lot of our superannuation is in shares by default and you can tweak that if you want but I mean that's that's most of us how it works like our money is sitting there being involved in partnering with companies and you know producing good things as well like that is a good thing um, yeah, over time. I mean, yeah, I mean, we're talking property as well, aren't we? Like, um, yeah, like investment properties. Yeah, yeah. So there's shares, but there's investment properties. Like, what, what, you know, what does the Bible have to say about owning investment properties? You know, do we just should we just enjoy them, or are they not good things that we should stay away from? Um, again, can sound like a broken record here, but just so much of it depends on your heart. Like, you can jump on an investment property out of you can do that out of fear because like. Uh, oh, if I don't, I'm going to be left behind and like there's this anxiety about my future and I've got to do that now or I'm going to miss the boat. You can do it out of a sense of like envy and jealousy, like, oh, all my mates are got investment property, so why don't I? I need to pursue that as well. Um, or, you know, alternatively, it might be part of a, you know, you've sought to honestly kind of examine your heart and have concluded that as part of a wise preparing for the future and saving, you know, investing in this property is a good thing to do. Um, so again, it's like what your heart is going on there, it really matters. But I don't think it's wrong to own an investment property. Like, again, that's another way to invest your wealth in an asset that, you know, hopefully over time is going to grow, which is part of, again, providing for yourself and your family in the future. That can be a good and wise thing. Um, yeah. I think in our culture, I mean, all that said, I think we also have, you know, particularly in Sydney, we have a bit of a love affair with property that I don't think always is, like, I think sometimes we think it's too good to be true. Sorry, what am I saying? It's, no, I... I think it's too good to be true. I think we think it's better than it necessarily is. Like yeah. um, Sydney's obsession with property, um, I think we are, that's the tide we're swimming in. So it can be hard to kind of swim against that tide um, and you may get pulled along. And I think, you think, yeah. I think the tide is the security, mm. is the passive income. Um, and, you know, because you can get a, another property for lots of reasons. Like you could be like, this is a place I'd love to offer as a holiday home for people who need it. Mm. Um, or you know, you could get it as like this is a, a place that I hope um, to sell in the future, not necessarily to leave it to my children, but to give to those who are in need, you know, or to donate to CMS. You can do so many things with your money, um, but yeah, I think if it ends with um, simply providing for ourselves and our family, that's not a bad thing. But then you have to ask the question: To what standard are you wanting to provide for your family and for yourself? Yeah, is it to the standard of or I'm, it's, it, is it to the standard of actually just self-indulgence, just luxury and comfort and living for ourselves? 
um, whilst the Bible calls us to be generous and to be giving and to be serving um, and to put ourselves out for others. And, and, and then that, that then becomes, you know, the sin of self-indulgence. But then you also kind of, um, overall of that, but more than the provision for ourselves and our family, which we do need to do. Like we're not, the Bible tells us to bear our load, not to be a burden on others. But then at the same time, I think the Bible also calls us to be generous. So yeah. how can we do that? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, maybe to kind of wrap that up, like, uh, what else is helpful to say, if anything? Um, there's good books on this kind of stuff. Like, there's much more to say in detail about, um, you know, the pros and cons of, like, yeah. Sorry, like, I think I, sorry, I ran out of the thought from before. Um, I think in Sydney, we think, like, property is the only thing that's worth investing in. And for various reasons, you know, the last 15 years, low interest rates, you know, borrowing money has been cheap. Like, you know, you can kind of see how that makes sense yeah. in our context. And there's a bit of fear of missing out as well, because it keeps going up. And so mm. people are just freaking out. Like, I'm never going to get in if I don't get in now. Yeah. And that may be the case or it may not like maybe you know we're already in a bit of a downturn maybe that keeps going like you just you just don't know um like i think that there are other avenues to investing in and yeah shares and stocks and um you know the more recent thing of etfs the exchange traded funds that's how a lot of people are getting into stock markets now um worth picking up you know one of the books that deals with this um managing god's money by randy alcorn's like i think a really good christian book that deals with you know the biblical stuff but then into the nitty-gritty of okay well how am i going to steward the money god's given me for you know his good in this world um i got a lot out of the barefoot investor which is not a christian book and you definitely got to have that loud and clear if you read it like um his goal is to like help every person loves that book yeah lachlan's working in a bookstore he says people come in for it yeah, yeah like i think it's quite helpful yeah. um yeah it's not a christian book so his goal is to help you make lots of money to leave a legacy for your children which is not a bad thing it's just you know we've got a bigger goal but if you keep the bible's goal in mind and the principles he lays out are quite helpful so yeah, yeah that's another good one that might help you too if you're looking for how do i get around actually practically using this money thing for god's good yeah and i think beyond leaving leaving a legacy of money for our children is leaving a legacy of god-centered decision that will shape their own love for god mm. like that's an even more precious thing to leave behind so I think just a last question about Christian culture. How can we talk about money? Because it seems like, so one person here is saying, seems like talk about property is really taboo. Mm. Um, how can we develop a give culture in our Christian life? How, what do you think, Jack? Yeah, um, on the taboo, yeah, I think that in part, I think we feel that out of a sense of, I mean, the world doesn't really, I mean, the world loves money, but hates talking about it. Like it's very taboo in Western culture to, especially Australian culture, to like ask someone else what they earn or how much their house is, but like you just, you know, it's just not the done thing. Um, I think in the church we can feel like it's hard to talk about for that reason, but also for like the, the comparison reason, like, you know, we're, we're all paid differently and we've all been blessed with different amounts of wealth and it can be hard to talk about it. Like if I've got different things to the other people, like am I going to, am I going to be jealous? Am I going to make them jealous? Like mm. all of that makes it yeah. difficult. And I think. I think also being feared of being judged. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I think it's an area where we gotta, we, we gotta, you know, have the courage to say hard words. Like when I'm struggling with greed and I need to be rebuked, like I hope that my Christian brothers and sisters will be willing to say the strong word when it's needed. But we also, I think, need to show each other some grace and where we are, just really earnestly trying to figure out how to use money well in a world where it is complex. Like it's not easy. Like like yet, like getting into the property market is really hard, and there's a 
you know, there's ways to go about that and it doesn't automatically mean you're being worldly if you're trying to do that. So working out where we can show grace to each other and actually help each other with making really tough, complex decisions, I think would be a really good thing. Um, like, I hope this is a church where if you're at a stage of whatever stage of life you are, um, find a trusted Christian friend who's, you know, maybe five years older or five years down the life stage track and ask, yeah, like, this is what I'm trying to figure out. Like, whether it's I'm young and I'm starting to figure out how do I save up a deposit or if I'm, you know, nearing retirement trying to figure out how do I balance what's left on my mortgage with the super. And like, like we live in a church where the beautiful thing is this cross-generational fellowship where there's people who are older than you who wrestle with these questions too. And I think we've got to have the courage to ask and say, hey, like, here's my numbers. Like, here's my spreadsheet. Like, here's what I'm wrestling with. Please help me figure it out. Am I being godly? Am I being greedy? Like, how do I be wise here? Like, I think that's something that we should be able to talk about with each other. And it may be that some of us need to have the courage to, to put their hands up and ask and say, hey, help me with this. And if someone comes and asks you that, treat that seriously and do the best you can to help someone figure out how they can honour God with their money too. Mm. Well, thank you so much, Jack. Um, it's been a bumper um, episode of the podcast with lots of questions about money mm. um, and about how we can love God. Uh, next week in, well, this coming Sunday in Ecclesiastes, uh, yeah. we're going to be looking at chapter 9 and 10. That's right. Yeah, we're focusing particularly on the first bit of chapter 9, which is all about death. So get excited for that. Uh, we are grappling with the reality that everyone dies, that we don't know when death's coming, uh, that death is this really uh, thing that is final. You know, we, we have a life to live and then it's over. Uh, our world doesn't really want to think about that. We live in a world where... We sort of try and spend as little time thinking about that as we can, but the Bible really puts that reality now in front of us and calls us to hear it because living wisely can only be done if you realise that life won't last forever. So really exciting, cheery topic for my final sermon at St <laughs> So Sunday's my last day as well. Um, but I'm, I'm quite excited to go out on that sober note because, yeah, we'll also be thinking about how in Christ the story doesn't finish with the teacher in Ecclesiastes that... We have hope beyond the grave, which I'm really excited to get to, you know, exalt in together. And I think I speak for all the listeners when I say, Jack, thank you so much for leading the podcast. Um, over the years that you've been here, uh, we're going to miss you. And thank you for teaching us. It's been fun. Like, us. oh, it's been one of the, the highlights of Time with St. Paul. So to all you uh, faith, faithful listeners, yeah, thanks for coming on the journey. Uh, we love your questions. We love wrestling hard. Keep it up. Bible's a big book. There's lots to learn, and I'm keen to learn too, as I know all of you are. We keep seeking the scriptures together because, yeah, we're, we're hungry for, for God's wisdom. So keep at it. All right. See you guys next week. God bless and take care.